0: You're about to listen to part two of episode seven. If you've missed part one, see the video list on this channel. All
1: right. So one might wonder why Darby would want to introduce such a divisive doctrine of the rapture into a newly formed and generally harmonious brother movement. It makes one speculate that he was sincere in his attempt to understand scriptural. Some Darby defenders believe he came to accept the rapture doctrine through his own study. Paul Wilkinson illustrates this by giving a compelling argument. I really don't care whether he gets it from Margaret McDonald or whatever. He pushed it. Lord, but then, moving on, putting the rapture to the side, okay? This idea of Christian Zionism is the is the Achilles' heel. Lord Shaftesbury! So Lord Shaftesbury, the Earl, 7th Earl of Shaftesbury, was a key figure about the time of Derby. He would play a pivotal role in the political classes in Great Britain for the promotion of the return of the Jews to Palestine. Shaftesbury was a post-millennialist and fully expected that, with God's help, men like him could move history towards the millennial period of the kingdom of God on Earth. In the late 1830s and 1840s, the Middle East was in turmoil because European governments were engaged in uh, propping up and climbing Ottomans Empire. So, the Ottoman Empire—maybe um, Michelle can bring up a picture of how vast it was. The British Empire and the French kind of, uh, kind of divide, end up dividing the Ottoman Empire. Okay, the Ottoman Empire pro- at—you um, probably need the time in the 18. Uh, 1830s on it. in the 1830s maybe that's what you want actually this one doesn't even go there maybe put 1830 okay. see what it looks like see what you get all right european governments were engaged in propping up the declining ottoman empire and maneuvering for power now what what did we learn today how the ottoman empire fell paper dollars printing yep. money uh, a played a key role in evaluating if you guys aren't watching our uh, american heritage uh, history you need to be watching that okay All right, so Shaftesbury played a key role in elevating the vision of a Jewish return and saw an opportunity in connecting Jewish uh, repatriation with with Britain's political interests. Premillennial dispensationalism was very much a minority view, but now there was a practical and political reason to advance the ideology. Clark comments on how Shaftesbury connected the political with the theological. Shaftesbury can take the credit for briefly making the English madness of restorationism part and parcel of England's answer to the endlessly plaguing Eastern question. Lord Shaftesbury managed to persuade Lord uh, Palmerston, then the British Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, to a secular rationale for the resettlement of the Jews under a British auspice. This strategy would give the British the needed hegemony over Russia in the region. Shaftesbury shrewdly avoided any biblical warrant, for he knew the key point for uh, Palmerston was the political advantage that this move would bring. The attempts to instill anglican dominion and british influence as well as lure european jewry to palestine did not go well in the decade of the 1850s nonetheless shaftesbury did not give up and persisted for years in promoting his idea during this time he is largely credited in coining an important phrase that was used by other zionists to elicit support in a letter he wrote that the area of palestine was a country without a nation crying out to be populated by a nation without a country The trouble with this statement was that the area did have a population who considered themselves to be a nation. In 1880, there were about 480,000 people living in Palestine under the government of the Ottoman Turks. Of these, 456,000 were Arab Muslims and Christians, and only 24,000 were Jews. To this day, the non-Jewish Palestinians resent the battle cry of the Zionists. Okay, and I, 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 there is a lot to unpack in that, and I'm not actually going to go quite in there. (laughs) Okay. So by 1866, Zionist movement had entered the American scene at several points. The relatively small story of the early American Christian Zionism may serve to illustrate the American get it done work ethic applied to Zionism. We eventually see this kind of practicality in modern Christian Zionists like John Heggie Whereas the early European Zionists held a more historic premillennial view of Israel, thinking they would convert the Jews to Christianity and then they would want to return to the land, American Zionism started to take a more pragmatic position of getting them to the land and concerning themselves about their conversion afterwards. Stephen Sizer records that the consensus prior to 1880 was the restoration to the Lord and that Israel would be a Christian nation. However, and we're going to get to Schofield in a moment, uh, interpreting Deuteronomy 30 following Darby would change that to... A to restoration to the land first and then conversion and not individual conversion, but national. Isn't that interesting? Should not all come to Christ. You Revelation red pill is that every individual has to come to know Christ. There is no national salvation. Right. Okay. the Palestinian covenant gives the conditions under which Israel entered the land of promise. It is important to see that the nation has never as yet taken the land under the. This is Schofield. We're going to get to Schofield in a second. Under the unconditional Abrahamic covenant, nor has it ever possessed the whole land. The Palestinian covenant is in seven parts. Dispersion for disobedience, the future repentance of Israel while in dispersion, the return of the Lord, restoration of the land, national conversion, the judgment of Israel's oppressors, and national prosperity. None of that concerns the church. None of it, really several decades before scofield would publish this reference in 1880 in 1866 a small congregation from the church of the messiah rented a 567 ton vessel to relocate from maine to palestine whereas british restorationism focused on converting the jews so that they would go to palestine to resettle the land the american intention was to improve the land through their superior agricultural husbandry so that the jews would want to go resettle the land led by pastor george j adams they thought that they would hasten the second coming of christ by preparing the land for the influx of the jews and of course who better knew modern and large-scale farming than Americans, or so they thought. The whole episode was a disaster from the first moment that they set foot upon Palestine until the mission unraveled in 1867 when several fatalities and scandals ensued. Of the 156 families that originally went to Palestine, most returned that year and Pastor Adams was revealed to have been a drunken despot who later ended up in Philadelphia where he died. Mark Twain chronicled the event And even traveled there at one point to see the exact state of their condition. He ultimately labeled the affair a complete fiasco. Wow! So part of the American interest in Zionism was no doubt fueled by the seven long touring visits that John Nelson Darby made to Canada and to the United States between 1862 and 1877. So here's this guy. He's not a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. Charles Spurgeon can't stand him. (laughs) Nobody else likes him. Right. He knows everything. And he's got a new doctrine and he's bringing it to the United States. Here it comes. Darby found the American, this is where it all gets really hot. So Darby found the American evangelical experience to be bereft of theological interest in his dispensationalism, but heavy on the practical practical aspects of Zionism. The American evangelical community was still largely post-millennial and optimistic especially concerning the view that America, American ingenuity, grit, and energy would show the world to be a better place, thus preparing the way for the millennial reign of Christ. Love that. This American uh, paradigm, paradigm annoyed Darby, but he persisted. He eventually you
0: can't be happy. You can't have an
1: optimistic outlook. It has to get worse and worse and worse, you Americans. He eventually met with four American preachers and Bible teachers who understood the American pendant for large, noisy, and celebratory revivals in contrast to the more um, cerebral small group Bible lectures that Darby favored. James H. Brooks, Dwight L. Moody, William Eugene Blackstone, and Cyrus I. Schofield would come to advance Darby's premillennial cause in America and change its course, both theologically and politically. James H. Brooks was a Missouri Presbyterian minister and usual as he... Um, unusual. unusual as he held to a premillennial view. He often lamented that he was isolated in his eschatology, Presbyterians typically held to an amillennial position, which was the predominant eschatological position from the reformers forward. You're going to, um, and actually let me just bring up, we're actually going to go, I think I want to get, I want to go back just a second to explaining these views. And it's going to be in the, ne- the the previous window. All right. Let me see. I'm going to go back to find. All right. So, postmillennial, literally a thousand years, is the belief that Christ will physically return to the earth only after a non-literal millennium is completed. Postmillennialism is optimistic about the end times. Christ's reign of the earth from heaven increases during the millennium, which is thought to be a non-literal 1,000-year period, but a very long time. Postmillennialism places the church in a role of transforming. Uh, whole social structures before the second coming and endeavoring to bring about a golden age of peace and prosperity with great advances in education, art, science, and medicine. All, cri- um, I'm going to move down. Um, dispensationalism is the idea that God has worked in different ways throughout history through different economies and different dis- dispensations. A dispensationalist makes a major division between the covenants. God acting with wrath and vengeance in the Old Testament and with love and grace in the New Testament. Dispensationalism teaches pre-tribulation rapture, divides the end times into seven dispensations and teaches a conspiratorial view of history. Um, and then amillennialism should be here. All right, so all-millennialism—it's called, uh, I, like I think it's the ide- idealism, the spiritualist approach. This view states that the prophecies of Revelation are not to be taken literally, but have a general sim- symbolic application in all of history. The heavenly battle of Revelation twelve is thought to describe the ongoing battle between good and evil. So, I think a, we
0: kind of grew up with with our mom as all millennialists, yeah. like these idealism. This mm-hmm. kind of like I think that it's more esoteric than literal.
1: Right. right. Exactly. So I just wanted to kind of give you guys a little refresher there to know what we're talking about with the peeps. Okay. So. Because all millennialism was adopted by the reformers, it achieved a quality of orthodoxy by which its modern adherents can point to with pride. They can rightly claim many worthy scholars. So you've got uh, Martin Luther, Calvin, all those guys. Darby visited St. Louis five times. And although no firm account is recorded, it is most likely that Brooks and Darby met during one of his visits. Some think they must have met since Brooks published a book in 1870 entitled Maranatha, Lord Come. In this book, Brooks lays out a rapture doctrine that is identical to Darby's viewpoint and contain most of the usual Christian Zionist themes. Brooks is one of the first works that overtly mentions the curse of Genesis twelve three in not supporting Israel and goes on to list the biblical offenders Egypt, Persia, Rome, Assyria, Babylon. More recent Christian Zionists have expanded this list to include Russia. Nazi Germany and Great Britain. Increasingly, Brooks went against the current of anti-Semitic tide concerning the Jews, increasing influence over banking, academia, and councils in Europe. He saw their emerging predominance as a harbinger of the coming conversion of the Jews to Christianity. Entirely optimistic, he did not live to see the horror of this rising anti-Semitism reach its zenith. just a few decades later. Brooks organized two-week-long Bible conferences at Niagara on Lake Ontario. These were similar to the Albury Park and Powers Court conferences, but were more for Bible-believing Christians as a refuge from the European theological liberalism that was seeping over into the American evangelicalism than anything else. Uh, However, these conferences found the new thought concerning end times in the form of premillennial dispensationalism a reassuring part of their new fundamentalism. Eventually, this new paradigm dominated the conferences, and they became almost solely dedicated to this theological system. After Brooke's death, the fragile truce between the minority postmillennialists and the majority premillennialists broke down, and the last one was held in 1900. Brooks had managed to hold the coalition together due to his sweet nature, combined with foresight to draw up a confession of faith, to which there was an official agreement. This confession kept the peace for many years. Interestingly, this document, which was solidly fundamental in its affirmation and the inspiration of the... Um, uh, uh, in- in- ar- in- ar- infallibility of, of, of scripture, scripture. The depravity of man, and the deity of Christ, and the person working the deed of the Spirit included a return of the Jews to Palestine. Dwight L. Moody, a friend of Brooks and Darby, was in part responsible for the early spread of premillennial dispensational message. He took Darby's theology and stripped Darby's message down to its urgent basics. Stanley Gundry wrote in his biography of Moody that his evangelistic message sought to be the lowest common denominator. Born in New England and trained as a cobbler and shoe salesman, Darby ended up in Chicago uh, to work for, uh, then uncle, wait, not Darby, I think um, Moody, that's a typo. Although he gained to faith in Christ as a teenager, it would take a few years before Moody would wind up in full-time ministry. He came to Chicago to make money and was a very successful salesman. So you, you, pretty, pretty much everybody kind of knows um, who Dwight L. Moody is. But here's the connection between American and British Zionism. Before he gained much notoriety in America... Moody intersected with British Christian Zionism and dispensationalism, including Lord Shaftesbury, during his several tours of Great Britain beginning in 1867. The Polish Shaftesbury was astonished with the cheerful and energetic Moody, considering him quite ill-managed but successful in evangelizing a crowd. Moody, having met a uh, virtual who's who in Britain's evangelicalism during his tours, also developed relationships with who? The Plymouth Brethren. A particularly effective influence on moody's preaching occurred after he met the brother member henry morehouse in england morehouse soon visited moody in chicago and they developed a close relationship he urged moody to stop preaching your words and preach the word of god after his return to america upon completing his third trip to great britain in 1873 moody filled venue after venue in the united states until he died in 1899. his moody bible institute became very successful in training men and some women and focused on the practical as opposed to the academic This meant the classical training of Greek, Hebrew, and systemic theology uh, that normally would be found in a theological education were not utilized. More time was spent in memorizing and going over these sensational topics of premillennial dispensationalism, including the rapture, the antichrist, the great tribulation, the millennial reign. It was apparent that the Plymouth brethren's dispensational motifs impacted Moody's theology, although he rejected their separatist um, um, ecclesiology, meaning... I know you guys just think that you got the thing, but I'll take your thing and I'll just spread it to everybody. The Plymouth Brethren thought
0: that they were exclusive in what they were believing. And no,
1: the Plymouth Brethren thought that they were exclusive in knowing the right way. Right, and then he was going to
0: just disseminate it to everyone.
1: That, yeah, because they just thought that they were the bees mes right? Gundry we, we notes it. that he was the first American evangelist of note to follow the premillennial scheme of eschatology. So the very first. let's just take a breath. Okay. Taking right. a breath. Taking
0: our breath here. We are. We are being introduced to all these these people. And the sum of what where we're at right now. Dwight L. Moody dies in 1899. Mm-hmm. He is the first, really and truly, to take this brand new dispensationalist pre-trib rapture theory and say, I'm going to take my charismatic personality, not to be confused with being charismatic and speaking in tongues, but just this, this charismatic personality, and I am going to disseminate this to Americans. I've got my Moody you know, Bible Institute. We're going to teach this to the, the, the young people, and they're going to go and spread it. So it's amazing just how quickly, in a 100 years, this new teaching... Spreads throughout Christendom. Yes. Western Christendom.
1: So Moody Bible Institute was named Moody Bible Institute after his death. All right. But get this Moody Bible Institute became the, the West Point for the kind of the Baptist right. fundamental type of Christians. Still is. Uh, giving giving respectability to dispensationalism and training many of its future leaders. By 1956, over 40 such institutes and colleges, largely modeled after the Moody Bible Institute, and they're teaching the dispensational rapture that had never been taught before, by the way, were established in the United States and were teaching this to 10,000 pastors and missionaries every year. These included the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, the Northwestern Bible Training in Minneapolis, goes on. There's a kind of siege mentality that is evident in the writings of Darby that preceded the rise of these Bible colleges. Darby was openly hostile and suspicious of all Christian institutions, and this included Christian uh, academies. Regardless of whether this new theological movement was theologically correct or not, the rapidity of the adoption of premillennial dispensationalism into the Christian church and the American church was astoundingly fast. The full weight of modern mass communication and the increasing mobility of societies no doubt gave rise to this. Along came... Along the way, Christians were seeing that they were being pushed aside, liberalism was entering the world, and they pulled out of society. One of the things that was very sad, I would say, and in the book Plymouth Brethren Refuted that I'm reading from 1887, and I haven't finished it. I've ordered it, I think, from India. I was supposed to be here like last week, but I think it's not going to come. I don't even know. Wait a minute. You're reading a book that's not It's here? on my phone, but okay. I'd rather You're have the book. Very confusing. I'm reading right. the book on my it. phone, but I'm it. waiting for it to come is that the Plymouth Brethren believed so much that Jesus was coming back and they needed to separate from the world that they literally separated from the world. One guy was a uh navy admiral and he said I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do this anymore and I'm not going to be in the British Navy. One guy was a judge and he left being off he left being a magistrate. And what happened were these Christians stopped going to higher places of education. As you can see, it was very dumbed down and now everybody looks and says where are the good judges in in wisconsin for the first time in 15 years the supreme court of wisconsin just turned blue it was scott Presler, pressler and a bunch of republicans kept saying you got to vote you got to vote in this election this this um there was i guess i don't know why there was an election for the supreme court in wisconsin but there was and it turned blue and everybody's all upset because it, pr- abortion and pro-life and elections and all these different things. Well, you send your kids to the Moody Bible Institute to learn about the stupid end times pre-millennium rapture. And you don't send them to be judges. You don't send them to be lawyers. You don't send them to be anything of importance. And then you throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, woe is me. Whereas the founding fathers created Princeton, created Harvard, created Yale. They were the baddest of all higher education. They were the lawyers. They were the judges. They were the Supreme Court members. They were the presidents. They were the statesmen. And because of this premillennial dispensationalism, everybody stopped going participating and participating in society. In society. And we we're the good Republicans. We're our good leaders. Well, you didn't train them. I haven't been trained. I'm trying to train myself. I'm trying to train you. And now... Because all higher systems, the whole systems have been corrupted, right? We have to start all over. Thank you, but Jesus and Jesus can do it. That's why we're saying we have to do it with prayer. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna get get out and vote, guys. The systems have been so corrupted because we left the system to rot. It's kind of like, why don't you go live in that house that's totally dilapidated and and the the roof's caving in? And and I told you that was your house, and you're like, I don't want to live in there anymore. I can't live in there. It's 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 not inhabitable. I have to fix it first. It's inhabitable. It's It's uninhabitable. It's right. It's uninhabitable. Yes. Uninhabitable. Yes.
0: Let me read a comment here. Um, And I know this is a little bit off topic, but still totally on topic for the, the whole of the show. Isaiah 4110, aka Sherry says, Zionism still confuses me. Is it good or is it bad? Now, that's really a question for kind of the end of the show, but I didn't want it to get lost in the questions. Do you want to take that now or do you want to do it later? Um...
1: My, the whole point of, is explaining where the Zionism came from. And, oh, sorry, buddy. Okay, okay, there's a dog there, can't move. Zionism is, is not the result of proper biblical exegesis, meaning going through the scriptures. Because the Jews don't need to go to Israel to they come to, know to know Jesus. They inherit
0: the planet like the rest of us. Everywhere, everywhere your foot treads is
1: yours. And has Zionism sending the Jews back to Israel led them to Jesus? No. The whole idea is that for 200 years, 250 years, almost 300, well, about 250 years, a long time, these Christians in Britain and, and, and the Americans got a hold of it. The problem with the Americans is that they became incredibly selfish with it. At least in Britain, they thought that they were going to convert the Jews to come to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. In America, there's a one-track mind. Get them there, end times. We'll worry about what happens to their souls later. Well, and
0: according to their teachings, they don't say this the quiet part out loud very much, is that one-third of them still have to die.
1: According to their end times theology. Yeah. Sounds awful. It's pretty bad. But they never say that. Out loud, you just
0: gotta get them there. You gotta get them there. But right. if you're following biblical prophecy, that actually yeah. happened in 70 A.D. So thank God, another third of the Jews don't have to die.
1: So before Tim LaHayes um, left behind and how Lindsay's late great Planet Earth, the the one book that went around for the premillennialism um, dispensationalism ideology was Jesus is coming, translated to 36 languages by 19 um, 1927. What Lord Shaftesbury was to the European Zionist political activism, William Blackstone, not the William Blackstone from England, a different guy, was to its counterpart in the United States. Blackstone was very actively engaged in all fronts, from the theological to the uh, convocational, and particularly the political aspects of Zionism. His book, uh, Fame, gave him a platform on which he was able to reach quite uh, high into the American political circles. Almost simultaneous to the writing of his book, he founded the Chicago Chicago Hebrew Mission, which later became American Messianic Fellowship. Blackstone became a frequent traveler and organizer of conferences that thought to bring Christian Zionists and Jewish leaders together. The goal was to organize more effectively in order to rally the Jews to return to Palestine and to lobby governments to help that effort. He was shocked when Jewish leaders, both in America and Europe, did not welcome the idea of resettling Palestine. Rabbi Emil Hirsch told him, We modern Jews do not wish to be restored to Palestine. The country wherein we live is our Palestine. We will not go back to form a nationality of our own. Blackstone was undeterred, and he made several attempts to influence U.S. presidents to consider the restoration of the Jews to Palestine. He influenced Benjamin Harrison in 1891 with the signatures of 400 prominent Americans. In 1916, he appealed to Woodrow Wilson. President Wilson did not express public support for the idea, but privately told others he was favorably disposed to it. Wilson was a member of a Presbyterian church that supported restorationism and certainly his own biblically-based faith played a part. These two major efforts to position the premillennial dispensational view of Israel with the political class marked a milestone for the emergence of American Christian Zionism and Zionism as a whole. While Theodor Herzl, in europe has been wildly widely credited with the father of zionism blackstone preceded Herzl's main body of political work by several years and thus might rightly be considered at least the lesser co-father of the movement nevertheless until the close of world war ii american christian zionists were not particularly involved in trying to lobby the u.s federal government on behalf of resettlement of the jews to palestine um And as we shall see that change in big ways, American Christian Zionism will become the largest and the most politically powerful voice for the support of the new state of Israel after 1948. Stephen Sizer sums up the impact of Blackstone's work. And I'm going to actually... transfer that, and we're going to go to Schofield in a second. Blackstone's appeal reveals, perhaps more clearly than any other statement made by a contemporary dispensationalist, the logical consequences of the distinction made between God's separate purposes for Israel and the Church, and the way in which this affected their approach to the Jewish mission. To Blackstone... Uh, evangelism and restoration were not mutually exclusive, but equal means to fulfill God's purpose among, purpose among the Jews. In Blackstone's mind, to choose Jesus might be the Christian answer and was acknowledged, albeit half-heartedly, but to choose Zionism was to be a true Jew and certainly preferable to their uh, assimilation into Western society. So the organization that Blackstone started, the Chicago Hebrew Mission, Hebrew Mission, changed its name to the American Messianic Fellowship International in 1953. More recently, in September 2008, they changed their name again to Life Messiah International. It would, be not, it would not be difficult to prove that the single most influential publication to vault premillennial dispensationalism into the mass adoption was the Scofield Reference Bible, first published in 1909. The man responsible for this work was a student of, of Darby, a disciple of Brooks, and a close friend of Dwight L. Moody. Cyrus Ingerson Schofield was born in 1843 in northern Michigan and reared there in his earliest years and later in Tennessee, where he enlisted to fight in the Civil War in the Confederate Army. In 1866, Schofield married um, Leontine Surrey in St. Louis, Missouri. Cyrus and Leon, uh, Leontine had three children. Abigail, Helen, and Guy. Guy died when he was still a child. Schofield's. Now, I want to talk about Schofield for a moment because while I do believe that a lot of these other people had um, some good intentions, Dwight L. Moody, I believe, had a heart for people, and I believe that there are a lot of Christians who do have wrong theology. Cyrus Schofield was a cad. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was a defector. Darby was a cad. He was an arrogant person. So Schofield says that Darby was like second to the Bible in how he interpreted the Bible. And Schofield put together the thoughts of Darby into a reference Bible, not just on his own, but he put, he put um, commentary at the bottom and they say it was him. But he was at one of these conferences in Niagara when this guy named Gabeline, who was maybe a,
0: it's Gableen.
1: who was from the Plymouth Brethren, right, and they're talking about we gotta find a way to put this premillennial stuff out there for the people. Right. There have been some books, books. So they came up with an idea. In order to get it into the hands of the people,
0: it had to be in a Bible form. You wanna know something interesting? What we've been teaching you guys for the past six weeks, this is week seven. Mm-hmm the thought comes like, maybe we should put this in the Bible. (laughs) Wait for the punchline. Lee knows where this is coming. It's just the Bible. It doesn't require any study notes. It doesn't require, you know, Corey Gray, who we frequently have on our program, and we're on the Kingdom Roundtable with them a lot. Corey got saved in prison. He read the Bible for himself, and he came up with what has, by and large, been understood you know, give or take throughout since Christ came as, as the understanding of kingdom now. Jesus came to, to preach the kingdom of God, not this, mm-hmm. okay? And many people who get saved on their own read the Bible and they come up with kind of a victorious view of the future, of, of life now and the future. So it doesn't require a special Bible. Mm-hmm. But because this teaching was brand new, it required a special Bible Mm -hmm. to put study notes to tell you how to interpret scriptures and to cut and paste scriptures and put them together to come up with a teaching. Mm -hmm. So for what you're learning here the past seven weeks, um, I've got good news for you. All you need is the Bible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't need a special Bible. You don't need special study notes. You just need the Bible. This yeah. required a special one, the Schofield Reference Bible, which now we're going to dig into.
1: Yeah. So it's, he, he, Schofield had a very interesting past, which he constantly lied about. Some people say, yeah, that was his past. And then he came to know Jesus. Then it's your testimony and you told the truth about it. The one, the one thing that he does testify about is that he was a drunk and God delivered him. But Schofield was married to a woman, the Leontine and Leontine, and he ended up leaving her and, and he and his kids and his kids. So Cyrus Schofield, in 1861, went to visit his sisters in Tennessee. He was not yet 18. And even it though he is gave his age as 21 and he enlisted in the seventh regiment of the Tennessee Lying Infantry,
0: his age he was listed as a,
1: a patient in the hospital of Richmond, Virginia. There's no mention of a wound, so he may have become ill. He asked for an exemption to leave because it was a horrible situation. And he, he went about telling everybody that he served the entire time in the Civil War. So he lies about that. Okay. He goes to St. Louis where he uh, is kind of apprenticed under his sister's husband to be a lawyer. And in St. Louis, Missouri, in 1863, he, um, where I think one of his, I think one of his brother-in-laws or something opens a dental school, um, his... Let me see. I'm going to... Leah's got all this written. I want to... I I I I I, wait, wait.
0: You look for that. I want to tell them, remind them again. If you go to Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays on resistancechicks.com, the website's three weeks old, yeah. but this is there. Um, scroll down to episode eight of the original Revelation Red Pill Academy, and you can follow along with this blog. Leah is skimming over it, but yeah. if you really want to dig into it and get the meat of it, you can read it for yourself there.
1: Yeah. Okay. So he studies law, and he has a connection with... Um, with various people there were dinners dances and parties in the French society that he was able to get into because of his his is his, uh, I think he gets he meets his wife in this French society and the Catholics she's a Catholic society later she, she has some money comes from money and they get married when he was 24 and they start having children and they move from St. Louis to Atchingson Kansas so Kansas politics were vitrally or were, were viciously crooked at the time and anyone in Kansas politics was suspected of corruption and Cyrus was deeply involved in it. Some of the problems involved in his brother-in-law's interest in squatters being injected from illegally occupied land. Cyrus had engaged a lawyer, John J. Ingalls, as a legal counsel to serve the family interests. Ingalls later became state senator and had to be aware of the corruption and bloodshed. Schofield had some sort of law partnership with Ingalls who seemed to sponsor him. In 1871, Cyrus was elected representative of the lower house of Kansas legislature from the 4th district for one term. Renomination from that district was blocked, so he filed for uh, Nima County and was elected to the 8th district. There was no record to show he ever lived there during that period. The Atchison Directory from 1872 to 73 lists the same addresses as before. So, he lied about that. Though Ingalls, his friend, served three terms in the Senate, he was very immoral and had no concern for the truth. He recommended his friend Schofield to President Grant for U.S. District Attorney for the Federal Judicial Judicial District of Kansas. Cyrus gave up his seat in the legislature and took the office in June of 1873. This ex-Confederate soldier solemnly swore he had never borne arms against the United States. That was rank perjury. So, an article on December 14, 1873 in the Daily Times of Leavenworth suggested something was amiss in the DA's office. A case was pending against ex-Senator Pomeroy. And there were hints that Pomeroy paid Cyrus to keep the case from coming to trial. A later Daily Times item reported that Pomeroy, Schofield, and Ingalls were involved in the most infamous of all infamous political bargains that ever transacted in Kansas. Like Watergate. <laughs> The reporter suggested that Ingalls and Schofield had received payoffs from railroad officials and settlers in South Kansas. Cyrus resigns and was never involved in politics again. So he's guilty, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there is another mysterious uh, time in Schofield's life. Though he was responsible for the support of a family of four, he disappeared for a period of three or five years. One acquaintance said Schofield had a bad reputation, and he just skedaddled out of town. In his story of Schofield's life, there's a there's an author, now, Trumbull, who ha- he went about to interview Schofield about his life to make him look really good because he became a minister, he became a Christian, and he has to be good because if we are going to use the Schofield Reference Bible, the guy who put it together can't be a CAD. God be a great guy. But he left all kinds of things out. Okay. So in the guy who wrote the, the book about him is Thrumble. All right. So his his wife had problems of her own in there in that period. Her son died and And in the book by Thrumble, he doesn't even mention his son Guy. He, like, dies at two or three. It's crazy. So, Mr. Thrumble's story states that Cyrus returned to St. Louis to practice law, but the publication, The Bench and the Bar of St. Louis County, shows no evidence that C.I. Schofield was ever a member of the St. Louis Bar in the 19th century. Mr. Thrumble's story of his successful law practice is in question since the court records of St. Louis show that, at one point, Cyrus badly needed a lawyer of his own. According to court records, Cyrus had signed a note for a $200 loan, which was to be repaid within 60 days. The note also bore the alleged signatures of Emmeline P- uh, Pappen, his, yes, his sister, and C.E. Betts. When the borrower tried to collect on the note after 60 days, however, he was unable to locate either Cyrus's home or office. Between closing date for 1877, the law office had apparently been closed in August. He Both- put her name on there. Yeah. And, and, and this guy Betts. So Emmeline and Betts declined to pay the note. The sheriff's deputy stated that a petition was served to Betts. And so these are, these are notes that we can find in history. Okay. So I'm going to skip over all the specifics of this.
0: He's a liar. There were He was constantly,
1: constantly borrowing from people, not paying them back. At one point he borrowed, he, he said to his mother-in-law, I've, Give me your money. Give me money. She gave him $1,300 to invest. No return on investment. He stole. He lied. He cheated. And even when he made money back, he didn't pay anybody back. He was so well known as a cheat and a cad in Action Sinks, Kansas, that when he started to become famous, the town started to write testimonies from people who said that he was a deadbeat guy.
0: And so also while he was married and he had left his wife and he left his, his children, Mm. he went around saying like he was a bachelor,
1: not married, just living the single life. He didn't tell people that he was married when he became a Christian under, he was, he, there were some Christian women that met him in prison. He finally went to prison for this stuff. Okay. Forgery and stuff. He became a disciple of Brooks. And what I think happened was he found a way to cover up. His crime, And just tried to forget about it and start a new life. And you know what he did? It was, one, I think, one of the worst things. He said that when he married his wife, who was Catholic, it was not a real marriage, and she was a Gentile, and his children were born in sin. And that he, with his wife not being a real Christian, even though she was Catholic, that he couldn't ask for a divorce, but she could. And she asked for a divorce on the grounds of abandonment abandonment because he left her for four years and she had to support her, never paid, never took care of the kids. How in the world can anybody say that this guy, he never provided for his children, not a day in his life?
0: You, What you meant was, how can they say that the guy that never provided for his children is is came up with the most wonderful Bible on the planet that has illuminated us to the modern end times theory that we're supposed to believe?
1: This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. All right, so it's very interesting. He never went to Bible school. He just went to these Bible conferences in Niagara. He picks this up. He goes with Brooks. He picks this up from um, Darby, and he meets Dwight L. Moody, and he just kind of picks it up, okay? During this time, Frederick A. Thullock was teaching something more Apostolic. In his study, Light from the Cross, he states his belief in a triumph, triumphant church prevailing on Earth against Satan. That was actually from the Moody Press in 1852. He places the Great Tribulation in eighty seventy rather than modern doomsday prophecies, which foresee freeways littered with driverless cars. The failure of Thuddex, uh views to remain prevalent in this country is largely due to the activities of Darby's Brooks and Schofield.
0: So essentially, Thulloch was teaching what you're learning here. Mm-hmm and it didn't spread because the weeds took over the you know the real grass right that would have grown but so, it's okay because we're getting it back yeah we're pulling up the weeds we're rescattering the grass seed it's going to come back
1: so cyrus becomes a pastor at Hyde Park Congregational Church in St. Louis in, in until 1882 but on July 28th 1881 about the time cyrus was licensed uh, his wife uh, had d- divorce papers drawn up, and you can see the case, mem- case number. It was not filed t- until December 9th, 1881. I know that the blog here says Cyrus because his
0: first name is Cyrus. His last name is Schofield. Mm-hmm. For reference, for everybody to understand, C. I. Could, Schofield. could you just say Schofield instead of Cyrus? Okay. Sure. Try to do that translation there.
1: All right. So Cyrus uh, Schofield, <laughs> okay, Schofield never disclosed that he had a wife to his congregation. In fact, he gave them an, the impression that he was a bachelor. His wife actually became a librarian at the Atchison Public Library. And she, in 1883, she filed a second divorce petition. So while he's a pastor, yep. he's abandoned his wife and children, yep, not telling anybody, not taking care of them. And uh, the divorce papers deemed uh, Schofield unfit for custody for the children. The judge granted her for custody. Because he left them. Right. Yeah, exactly. He left them. So Schofield, formerly of Kansas, late lawyer. It says pro- the divorce,
0: the divorce never became final. No, it did. It says right here. That's the first one. Oh, okay,
1: okay. okay. And then he, the second I get it. petition All right, following. So this is actually a um, from the Atchison, uh, Kansas paper. Listen to this. Cyrus I. Schofield, formerly of Kansas, late lawyer, politician and shyster, generally has become to the generally has come to the surface again and promises once more to gather around himself that halo of notoriety that has made him so prominent in the past. The last personal knowledge Kansans have had of this peer among scallywags was about four years ago after a series of forgeries and confidence games. He left the state and a destitute family and took refuge in Canada for a time he kept undercover. Nothing being heard of him until within the past two years, when he turned up in St. Louis, where he had a wealthy widowed sister living, who has generally come to the front and squared up his little follies and fobbles by paying good round sums of money. Within the past year, however, Schofield committed a series of St. Louis forgeries that could not be settled so easily.
0: So and the erratic young man after his was compelled to linger, and
1: he's going back to his jail old deeds. for six months. Among the many malicious acts that characterized his career was one peculiarly atrocious that has come under our personal notice. Shortly after he left Kansas, leaving his wife and two children dependent upon the bounty of his wife's mother, he wrote his wife that he could invest some $1,300 of his mother's money. Her mother's money. All she had in manner that would turn- return a big interest. After some correspondence, he did- he, uh, forwarded them a mortgage, he signed it, blah, blah, blah. Those two women lived in abject poverty after that. His mother-in-law, he defrauded his mother-in-law, and his, his mother. And his wife. He lied about being a doctor. He put DD, Doctor Divinity, in front of his name. And nobody he nobody gave him a doctorate. He never went to any sort of Bible college. There's a lot more about Schofield that he's just a cad. He's just a cad, okay? But he's... you. Honestly, there's another person that I consider a cad in our group. He left his wife and is married to somebody else and is in the reawakened tour. I don't... I don't abide cads, okay, who leave their wives and children. In 1888, Schofield printed rightly dividing the word of truth to teach his classes the dispensational view. In 1856, a godly Scot named uh, Patrick Fairbain wrote a scripturally, scripturally based refutation of the whole dispensational business. Unfortunately, Schofield was not enlightened to that matter. So then he goes to a Dallas church. And at this time, he was head of the Southwestern School of the Bible in Dallas, a forerunner to the Dallas Theological Seminary. So we have Dwight L. Moody's and Dallas Theological Seminary, the Battiston, the underbelly of Baptist teaching. And it's mostly Baptists that actually have this. And it's mostly um, Baptists that have been spreading the premillennial. And it's, you know, premillennial theology and different offshoots of that. We were part of um, Faith Evangelical Free Church was a more liberal kind of Baptist church. The, now, I want to get a little bit into, and, and we are running short on time, but we usually do three hours, so we got some time. Um, the heart of Schofield's system is a teaching of prophecy that proponents claim restores lost truth, which has been lost since the early days of the church. And that's what Irving said. That's what Lencuza said. That's what Darby said. It's lost. We found it.
0: So, and let's clarify for for those that maybe are still wondering, wait a minute, Michelle, wait a minute, Leah. I believe that this has been taught for 2,000 years. If it had been taught for 2,000 years, there would be evidence of it. And the people that promulgated it and spread it ablaze in Western societies and churches and, and all of this, They wouldn't have come out saying, hey, this is brand new and it's really, you know, hard to get into people's minds because they don't want to receive it because it's so new, Mm -hmm. right? That's how we know that what they're teaching. I just think that some people don't really know what we're talking about, that they're teaching or that they were teaching and that they are currently now teaching that has found its way and wiggled its way into everything that you ingest on the end times,
1: Okay. So, um, yeah, that's, that's true.
0: That's true. Uh, Debbie, I'm going to refer you to the first six. I know it's a lot of work because it's, it's been a lot. Debbie says, do you both feel revelation is all future or part future? The only part I feel is past, um, present future is the beginning to the churches before chapter four. Rather than going into any of that here on this episode, because like Leah said, we're short on time and we can't do it in every show because in every show, there's somebody that asks us these types of questions. All that's already been answered in episodes one through six. So I think- We never
1: went into Revelation. We only did Matthew.
0: But she'll understand where we're getting at by watching episodes one through six. And Mm -hmm. I think that that'll give you a a pretty good understanding of where we're coming from um, in our show.
1: Yeah. Uh, but really, the question to me isn't what about Revelation. The question should be what it, about Matthew twenty four. What about Matthew twenty four? That's the question. The all of it discourse. For those of you that don't know chapter and verse. All right, so let's go over some of the teachings in premillennialism, dispensationalism, and what Scofield taught. Number one, a literal Jewish kingdom to last for a millennium. It was brought. Uh, it was first brought into the early church by some Jews who still could not give up the hope taught to them by the scribes and Pharisees. The Bible does not teach it. And the disciples who had been taught it rejected it after Pentecost. And Jesus warned about it in Matthew 16, 6 through 12. And Jesus said, "Be, be take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Why do you not reason amongst yourselves? And he says, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. um, And the doctrine of that. Let me see, I'm going to go. All right, so... He goes on to say that you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the essence of what we're teaching. Let's see, I'm going to skip a little bit of that. Scofield's work was calculated to promote certain ideas. We must ask ourselves if Jesus ever offered or announced himself as an earthly king or claimed David's throne. Had he ever in any way suggested that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom? No. He said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then will my servants fight that I should not be delivered up to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You know what he didn't say? But I will come back and set up a kingdom. Hence. Okay? In the New Testament, kingdom is mentioned 139 times. But Schofield avoids comment on 118 of them because they know... They will not, because he knew, they will not sustain the postponed kingdom theory.
0: Okay, right there is something we need to pause. In, and if this is something, I love this phrase. when we're What we're talking about, the whole of Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays, is to get rid of the postponed kingdom, would they call it a theory? Mm-hmm. Here, the postponed kingdom theory. Jesus kept saying, how many times? 138? 139 times. He talked about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. If you go into a modern church today, I know I say this a lot, you will hardly ever hear a pastor or a preacher mention the kingdom. Why? Because Schofield doesn't comment on 118 times that that it's spoken in the New Testament. They've completely gotten rid of the kingdom. Why? Because they have to say that the kingdom of God is for the future, Not for right now. So when I hashtag things, you cannot put us in any kind of box. But if you could put us in one box and you want to hashtag what Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays is, hashtag Kingdom Now. Mm. Kingdom Now. Not Kingdom Future. Not Postpone Kingdom Theory. Kingdom now. Jesus said, I come to, I've I'm I've come to proclaim my kingdom. My kingdom is here. It is not of this world, it's not an earthly kingdom, but it is here on this earth right now.
1: Mm, that's okay? good. That's good. All right. So now I'm just gonna kind of talk to you guys from some of my own my own research on, on Schofield and the Plymouth Brethren. This is my favorite part. Schofield. Goes to the Niagara Front Conferences, meets this guy. He's friends with this guy named Gableen. Gableen is part of the Plymouth Brethren. He hooks C.I. Schofield up with the Plymouth Brethren over in England. They're talking about putting together this reference Bible. Mm -hmm. Schofield goes over, leaves his pastorate in Dallas. I don't know if he's in New York or Dallas at this time. I think he might be in New York at this time. And he's in New York at this time because my brain was farting on me. (laughs) He's in New York at this time because... In 1901, he 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 gets nominated to join this club that is so exclusive mm-hmm. that every person in the club has to sign off on a new member. Right. It's called the Lotos Club. It's supposed to be a club for literary people. Right. It's supposed to be a club for the 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 high elites in New York. How does this seemingly kind of Poor pastor. He doesn't have a lot of money. Right. Get put in the upper echelons of New York. Who pays his dues? He has to pay dues every year. There was another guy, and I don't have time to go into him tonight, and I don't know if we will at, at all in our studies. But you guys can look him up. His name is Samuel. Uh. Uh. I'm gonna miss it. Unter. Meyer Samuel Untermeyer, no internet. Of course, I don't have internet.
0: You want me to pull it up here?
1: Um, wi Fi not connected. I've got it. Samuel Untermeyer becomes one of America's biggest Zionists. Uh, he is obsessed with Zionism. Now, some reports have C.I. Schofield being funded by Unterman to create the Schofield Reference Bible. With all of these references, the Jews need to go back to Palestine. The Jews need to go back to Palestine. There's two covenants. There's God's covenant for, for the Israelites, and there's God's covenants for the Gentiles. And the Jews, and, and this is a perfect theology for Jewish people, because they don't have to deal with Jesus right now. <laughs> okay? They don't have to deal with the Jesus question. Untermeyer was the the a famous, absolutely famous lawyer. He was the first lawyer to make a million dollars in a single case. What? Yeah, in a single case in the early, early, early 1900s. Wow. And he is part of the Lotus Club with C.S. Schofield. And you know what else he was a, lo- a lawyer for? He helped draw up the papers for the Federal Reserve. No way. He did. Stop it. He did. So whether these two people work together, this is where a lot of the unknowns are. Are
0: you all listening? C.I. Schofield attention right
1: now is encouraged by Gabling to go over to Britain and to to learn and to research uh, under the Plymouth Brethren, and he stays with the Plymouth Brethren, and he he is continuing. He's getting their teachings together, and he's going to get this book published through the Oxford Press Mm. through the Plymouth Brethren. The book, which book? C.I. Schofield's Reference Bible. Got it. That has all these reference notes that all these Christians are reading Mm -hmm. that basically say we have to promote Zionism. Right. That's why this is the biggest red pill for me. Because Zionism is not biblical. Uh Uh-oh. It's not in the Bible. The Jews are wonderful people. But they need to come to know Jesus. And when they do their inheritance isn't a patch of land in the middle east Mm -mm. their inheritance is just like ours which is the entire world
0: the planet
1: that is what true gospel spreading is and so untermeyer um actually kind of blackmails Woodrow wilson at some time kind of one time to kind of promote his zionism he was uh A very interesting person i'm gonna see if i can find some more on him i think i had more but i don't know where where i've got it well he helped fund the lotus club history suggested woodrow wilson for president funded by andrew carnegie here it comes um they andrew carnegie built their or i think purchased their second building Mm -hmm. so our three top bad guys are rockefeller carnegie and ford well, that means for,
0: on Resistance Chicks program for the past seven years, in general, yeah. general that Revelation Red Pill aside,
1: yeah. these are our bad guys. The Lotus Club is very, very secret, but they had um, writers, connoisseurs, journalists, politicians, diplomats. It's L-O-T-O-S. You can find it on Wikipedia. There's not much much in there. We do know that Mark Twain was part of it. Um, and we knew that, we do know that Cyrus Schofield was part of it. And why is, was he part of it? It was very strange. And we do know that, um, Samuel Untermyer was part of it. And we do know that Samuel Untermyer, and we do know that the Lotus Club helped push forth Woodrow Wilson as president. (laughs) And then Untermyer uh, is working with these bankers to help craft the Federal Reserve laws. Mm-hmm. But he's also pushing Zionism. Right. So you can make of that what you want. I'm making of it. Okay. You can make of that what you want. Meaning
0: uh, this idea mm-hmm. helps. So I believe that their primary focus wasn't really modern end times theory and where that takes you. I think it was really just their kind of takeover of everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And
0: yeah. modern end times theory was a kind of facilitator to help that you know get further
1: yeah exactly i think probably you guys are this is a lot of information and you're probably a little bit on overload like i am and i think that going through what's in the scofield Reference bible might be a bit much tonight but i'll just go over a little bit of it let me see where do i want to start
0: and I want to hear from you guys in the chat how you're doing because a lot of you have stayed. So I'm really, really proud of you. Um, Rodney over on Facebook has a comment that I want to read. Um, Most Christians have never heard of Josephus, a real life Jew that was not a Christian, mm-hmm. was on the street and, and on the street reporter. He was actually also part of the war, mm-hmm. by the way, um, of the war of the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. And just to repeat the line so you guys can take it with you. Not knowing about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD as a Christian Mm -hmm. is the same as being an American and having never heard of the Revolutionary Mm -hmm. War. If you don't know it, then you don't know what happened when Jesus prophesied in Matthew 23, 24, and 25 Mm -hmm. about the destruction of the temple, right? And so you really can't, without that knowledge that happened within the generation which you can learn on Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays with with Leah and I um, in past episodes. Once you understand it, you're like, oh, now everything makes sense. And you kind of get a little bit indignant because going back to with the Moody Bible Institute, Hmm. they stopped teaching these types of things. They used to teach you church history. They used to teach you Latin. They used to teach you Hebrew. They used to teach you Greek so you could read the Bible for yourself in theological institutions. And instead with modern end times theory, they went straight for sensationalism, straight for dispensationalism and, and, and shoved aside any actual real learning that maybe you even would have gotten at Harvard or Yale early on. Right. Yeah. That's why it's so nefarious in my book.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. That's good. So I think I'm going to go to a couple of these um, explanations down here, if I can. I'll go over here. Put put them here.
0: Uh, Debbie says, um, I'm trying to have an open mind. As recently, I've questioned pre-trib rapture. I'm glad you're here, Debbie, because Mm -hmm. this is exactly where you're going to want to be. And I think you'll really enjoy the first six episodes that we've done. You can find those on Rumble. You can find them on the playlist on Facebook. Um, on our resistance chicks Facebook page. I think I think this is where you need to be. I think God led you here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Alright, so Christians didn't overnight start believing something that no Christian had ever believed before. It took some time, okay, to acquire this this theology. And I want to go over just a little bit of where what it what it means. All right. So they There are the land promises and the relationship between the Israel and the church, all right? And with the, that undergird the Zionist eschatological and theological positions. And the dramatic topics of dispensationalism, such as the Antichrist, the rapture, and the Armageddon, and the one World government, are built upon the foundation of these core doctrines, which we're going to get to those another time. But these are the cores that all that, the Hal Lindsey built upon, right? Okay. So the land promises, Theodore Herzl is widely regarded as the father of modern Zionism in Europe. He published a little booklet in 1896 entitled Der Juntenstadt that laid out a case for a Jewish homeland based upon the historic persecution of European Jews to solve its century-old problem. The publication coincided with the ambitions of a German premillennial Anglican, William Heckler, who saw Herzl as a Jewish ally who would help him further his cause of converting and restoring the Jews to Palestine. Herzl was not driven by Biblical convictions. Uh, Whether the homeland to be created was in Palestine or Argentina didn't matter to him. He sensed that Jews would never fit in anywhere and their persecution would only intensify in Europe. The persistent Herschel convinced, Herz- Her- Herch- convinced the practical Herzl to push for Palestine. Modern Israeli historians record this as the beginning of what would result in the creation of the modern state of Israel. And they see it as a colonizing and expansionist theolo- theolo- the- ideology movement rather than a religious quest. It's Heckler. Heckler. I'm sorry. Much of Heckler and Hertzler's work, along with Lord Shastri and his friends, led to the British promises made during World War I. These promises were captured in two competing and unrealistic documents. One to the Jews, the Balfour Declaration, and one to the Arabs, the hussein uh, mchohan correspondence. Upon reflection, the British were idealistic, perhaps even deceitful, in making these contrary and incompatible promises to the Jews and the Arabs. In 1919, the Arabs had realized there is this contradiction of the promises and had rejected the emerging plan of the Western nations to partition uh, Palestine. At this time, Britain gave the whole issue over to the United United Nations, whose delegation recommended a partition of the land into a Jewish state and a Palestinian state, 55 to 45. From 1917 through World War II, the Jews prepared for this partition, while the Arab leadership did not. When the partition was made in 1947, violence broke out and many of the Arabs left the region. They viewed the division of the land as unfairly dictated by the West. Although they could have created their own state at the time, they failed to organize sufficiently. Currently, three million Palestinians, non-Jews, live in the West Bank and Gaza. So where did the land promises come from? First, we hear of the land in Genesis 12one through 3. And the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, dispensationalists see that as only applying to Israel, and that those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. But as we've seen in Romans, that we are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So those who bless, those who believe in the Messiah, shall be blessed. Those who curse Christians will be cursed. The Messiah has come, okay? This is not the land of Israel. Abraham is the father of all of us right now. The land promises are not separate. Jesus came to fulfill and he came to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. Abraham's fulfillment it's here.
0: So going- Jesus said
1: to the, the to the Pharisees, if you were of your father, Abraham, you would know me. Right. But you're not. Mm-hmm. You're not of your father, Abraham.
0: Right. So going back to what you're going over right now is these ideas are in the Schofield Reference Bible. Mm-hmm. This is what they're telling us, mm-hmm. that these specific promises that I was taught my entire life to take for myself, I can't imagine reading that and having it not apply to me, mm-hmm because that's, that's Christ. Mm-hmm. But we are only to apply that according to the Schofield reference Bible and dispensationalism mm-hmm.
1: to yeah, Israel today. Yeah. So in Genesis 15, he adds to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then in 17, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God. And it's then it's after you but there's very interesting you remember in leviticus and deuteronomy there was a caveat to this covenant mm-hmm. and you gotta hold up your end of the bargain yeah and we also
0: find that god wrote them a writ of divorce so no more old covenant he took what he promised to Israel and the Jews and whatever the sons of Abraham, whatever you want to call them, and he says, you know what? Now I am going to offer this freely to everybody that accepts my son.
1: Yeah, the covenant was codified further in chapter seventeen with the covenant sign, sign of circumcision. But when you read the New Testament, I just read today, who is a Jew? Circumcision is of nothing; circumcision is of the heart. Mm-hmm. We read what the does that mean? Tonight. In which God said that His covenant in your flesh was to be an everlasting covenant. Christian Zionists point to this four-part promise of land, nation, everlasting covenant, and being a blessing to the world as a clear biblical mandate to restore the Jews to the land today. But you can't see it that way because when you read the New Testament, that's the, all the promises of Abraham come upon all of us now. We are Abraham's seed. The statement by John Hagee referring to Genesis 12 and 15 is typical of what might be preached on any given Sunday. This covenant established Israel as a nation, and is an everlasting and unconditional unconditional means, this covenant is the contingent upon God's faithfulness to Israel, not Israel's faithfulness to God. That's not that's not true.
0: It's not biblical.
1: God says five times, "I will, I will, I will," and He never says to Abraham, "You must, you must." What? The dispensational position on the internal nature of the Abrahamic covenant is widely viewed as correct in the sense that it is different from the mosaic with regard to conditionality. Many scholars agree that the Abrahamic, as well as the Noah and the David covenants, are grants. The the mosaic, by contrast, is seen as obligatory. Both are in evidence as common uh, to the ancient Near Eastern political landscape. So, and we talked about... um, the um, the Thayers do a really good job on on that on grants and, and Sparrow like that.
0: pictures on Rumble.
1: So on these, and you can show them this if you want. There's grants and treaties. Uh, Moshi Winfield says that both types of agreements preserve the same elements: historical introduction, border delineation, stipulations, witnesses, blessings, and cursings. However, he points out that they are very different functionally. The grant serving to reward loyalty and the treaty acting as an inducement for future loyalty. Both Abraham and David are examples of outstanding loyalty and faithfulness to God and were given wonderful promises. The grant of land to Abraham and the grant of royal dynasty to David are unconditional grants, according to Winefield. Some scholars in the Reformed tradition have somewhat departed from the sharp distinctions of conditional versus unconditional. Um, I'm going to move down. land in the old testament is both a physical reality and a theological symbol of the 2504 uses of land in the old testament speak of its importance to theology though God promised to Abraham a specific piece of geography Abraham apparently understood it as more than geography Hebrews chapter 11. theologically land is the gift of God land is the place of blessing land is the fulfillment of promise land is that sphere of life where our where one lives out one's allegiance to Yahweh land is the place where Yahweh uniquely chooses to dwell to reveal himself land is a sphere of God's kingdom activity the land promise retains a fulfillment yet not consummated aspect there are indications within scripture that the land promise is fulfilled yet not consummated and yet to be consummated in a new cosmos the conquest under Joshua was more than just a military invasion it was a theological event wherein the pious of Israel had their faith confirmed in God's promise to Abraham everybody looked every each and every generation looked for the promise and rest in the land Jesus came to be that rest Mm -hmm. behold when he reads Isaiah 61 he opens up the scroll jesus he being jesus the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord god has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the lord's favor day of vengeance from our god to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who grieve in zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes an oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair they will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord for the display of his splendor they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated he might need to go um they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations strangers will shepherd your flocks foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and they will call they will be called priests of the lord you will be named ministers of our god you will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast instead of your shame you will receive a double portion and instead of grace you will rejoice in your inheritance so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours Jesus said today, today this is fulfilled. He said that day that he was reading that. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I reward my people. I make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. When Jesus comes and he writes this bill of divorcement with the unbelievers, he doesn't, he renews the covenant with the remnant. And he creates a new, a new and better covenant. You see, Hebrews talks about There must be the death of the person writing the will in order for the will to be given out, right? Revelation is the will. Who is worthy to open up this scroll? The will of the new covenant, your blessings of the new covenant. God himself is both the testator and the person that Jesus is granted to. And then through him, we, the body of Christ, are the recipients of the new and better covenant, of the new will, if you will. This is the beauty of salvation. You see, salvation is the way into the kingdom. It's not the end all be all. Salvation is your ticket into the promises of God. It's not the end all and be all. I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 8, if I can. Hebrews, that's where men make coffee. It's a joke. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do not have a high priest who... um, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up the lord not a mere human being we do have sorry we do have read king james in my brain every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer if he were on earth he would not be a priest but there are already priests to offer the gifts prescribed by the law i'm gonna scroll down okay but in fact verse six the ministry of Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator of is superior to the old covenant since the new covenant is established on better promises okay now recognizing um for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant no place would have been sought for another But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And then it says, this is the new, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And he was speaking of the ending of the temple sacrifices. Now, we, we are the seed of Abraham because you're right. Abraham's promise never went away. All right. And I'm going to get, I know Corey has all of these memorized to um, I think it's I'm pretty sure it's where is it Galatians so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith we are now blessed with Abraham we are the children of Abraham and that is the most important thing and I guess hopefully maybe in um the next series i thought we'd go more into dispensationalism and and what that meant but understand then that those who have faith are the children of abraham scripture foresaw that god would justify the gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance of abraham all nations will be blessed through you so those who rely on faith are blessed along with uh, abraham the man of faith we are now part of that promise we're now part of the covenant. We're now part of everything. We are grafted in, and unfortunately, this idea of breaking the two apart with this land covenant and um, the all of that—it's—it's not—it's not what God wants. He doesn't want this separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Well,
0: you get two different things. You get there's a separation because the Jews killed Jesus, and they're awful. And then you get the they're God's chosen people and they're amazing instead of just we're all God's people. Mm -hmm. And that's what we started off by reading in Romans at the start of the episode today. We're all God's people. And yes, it's easier for the original branch to be grafted back in. But you heard what Paul said. Were they broken off so that you could be yeah. grafted in? Yeah. And Paul's like, hey, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. But they mm-hmm. can be grafted back in, too. And it's easier for them because they come from the original tree. Right. So before we sign off here, um, if anybody has any questions in the live chat, if you're watching live, because I know a lot of you guys will watch this back afterwards, go ahead and leave them in the chat. And uh, and we'll try to address them very, very quickly. If not, I think that you guys got a pretty good And I'm really proud of you for sticking around. History lesson to where on earth did all of this come from? This is what we've been trying to get to for the past couple of weeks. How did it get started? Now, the new revelation that you got the past few weeks is tying in the motivation of Zionism or the need for Zionism within dispensationalism. You have to have it.
1: Yeah, that there is a fervor, uh, maybe some rightfully placed to um, maybe have a land for the Jews. But unfortunately, what we're going to maybe go in, where we will go into is how dispensationalists are using the Jews to fulfill their own pipe dreams of jesus coming back yeah
0: it's really and sad, actually.
1: you guys need to go there and, and and you'll get saved first we wanted you to get saved because we cared about you and to come to know jesus but now as john Hagee says just go there and all of israel you're kind of come to know jesus at some point you don't even need to come to know jesus really do you um there's really not an outreach to jewish people because this dispensationalism doesn't jive with leading a Jewish person to Jesus, in my opinion, no. Okay, then you're all going to die. And you still have even the Jewish people come to know Jesus. That they get come to know Jesus under the dispensationalism. They're they're still stuck under the old covenant, thinking that that they have this this land is theirs. But now they have all the land, which is you know a very strange uh, phenomenon to to have.
0: Myra says, I've never heard anyone cover it better. Th- thank you for that. Uh, Isaiah 41.10 says, Thanks, I will have to check out the Revelation Academy. And also, um, I don't know who it was last week. I think it was Isaiah 41.10. We were making a big deal about somebody else in the chat last week becoming our first Rumble monthly subscriber. Rumble's added this new $5. you For 5 bucks a month, you can subscribe to us on Rumble. and support You get a little channel. badge. You don't get ads. So I didn't see that Sherry, Isaiah 41.10, also became a monthly subscriber. That's so awesome. now we have two... a month subscribers, and you guys are awesome, and I'm so glad that you're doing that. So
1: according to the land promises, one more thing. Um, This is I was trying to find. What what the dispensationalists say is that the land promises were never fulfilled. Yes. They never got all the land. But Joshua, it, it actually says... So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave, he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. In the very next chapter, a detailed listing of the conquered kingdoms is given. Chapters 13 through 22 are detailed accounts of the division of the land among the tribes of Israel. At the end of chapter 21, Joshua records a more emphatic uh, uh, reiteration. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to their fathers. So, and they took possession of it and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side. Not one word of all the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed, all came to pass. So,
0: so dispensationalism and modern end times theory is teaching that they didn't get all their land and mm-hmm. now they have to get it
1: again. Or? Mm-hmm. They have to get it again. They have to fulfill that promise. That wasn't that was, but it
0: was fulfilled. And where does it say that that promise has to be fulfilled twice? Yeah. Nowhere. doesn't say that, by the way. Um, I, (laughs) Sherry says, don't spend it all in one place. All right, you guys, I'm really proud of you that this many of you have stayed and don't have any questions. This is really good. Um, Linda says, guys, I had a dream last year that spoke of doctrines of demons and men and how the church has grown comfortable in them. In January, Johnny Enlow broke this out. And then I was led to you. So much revelation every week. Dots connecting left and right. Love you. Lorraine says, well, how about that? It is finished. You know, Jesus said that on the cross. Well said there, Lorraine. Judy says, you are always very thorough. I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. Patriot Gallery has been putting the links to her latest blog on wild horses in the chat. And oh my gosh, you guys have got to check that out. As a matter of fact, Corey Gray came to us and was like, dude, your mom's latest blog, So spot on. And it ties in with the latest Kingdom Roundtable that they did this past Monday. So to sum up, if you guys want more of this, go back and watch the first six episodes. If you want even more than that, go and watch the Kingdom Roundtable every Monday night at 8.30 p.m. So one
1: one section that we didn't get to go over was the fact, and I'll just tell you guys this. You guys ever heard of a guy named Allie Esther Crowley?
0: No, we gotta do that in its own episode. I'm You're teasing spoiling it. the punchline. Let me
1: tease it. You are spoiling For those who the punchline. Whole thing, don't they? Shouldn't they get a tease? They stayed through the whole thing. Leo, Esther
0: Crowley. Away. This is
1: like opening up a present before your birthday. Went into Satanism and all kinds of crazy stuff. He's giving you the punchline, and he's like the, like all the rock good. and rollers. Um, do as thou will, the whole of the law. If you guys know who Aliesta Crowley is, this will mean something to you. If you don't, it won't mean anything to you.
0: Spoiler alert, Lorraine says... So, Aliesta
1: Crowley... I can't
0: believe she's giving this to you guys right now.
1: I did... I was, I've been my sitting Matt, on this for two weeks! My friend, Matt Kansas, got set free from... Sunday Rock and roll. Okay, and thanks, we Mom. did a blog about the satanic roots of rock and roll. Marie and there's says, a whole, "I know all about that demon." There's a whole. Oh no! Here we go. There's a whole section that we've written about um, the satanic origins of rock and roll on our on our blogger. Maybe Michelle wants to put it in there. Maybe she doesn't. Dea says, "Ladies, I am
0: really enjoying this very detailed history on the origins of the end times theology." Sherry says, "Yes, Michelle, we've been here three hours. We deserve. I get y'all deserve it. Fine, give it to." Me. So,
1: Aliester Crowley's. I knew that his dad was a preacher Mm -hmm. and his dad died at 12 and he came from a fundamentalist Christian group (laughs) and his mom called him the beast and he called himself the beast. She literally called him the beast. And I knew that he wanted to be Satan's right hand man. Mm -hmm. And then when I was doing some research and I was coming up with the Plymouth brethren, there was a name that kept coming up. Trying to find out stuff about the Plymouth Brethren. Yeah, it's just hard to find. It's a last name. Go ahead. Crowley. Why was that name coming up? Well, his dad, Allie Esther Crowley's dad, uh-huh. was a Plymouth Brethren preacher Uh-oh. at the time of Darby and Irwin and Schofield in England.
0: Now she said it. Now she gave you the punchline.
1: When his, his mother and father and this whole group taught him about the rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the beast. Singular. Okay. And that Satan was going to rule and reign during the Great Tribulation. Well, Sherry bit. She says, what? Yeah. And mm-hmm, get this.
0: Mm-hmm. Y'all glad you
1: stayed. Aliester Crowley decided that he wanted to be the beast and the Antichrist that his parents taught him was going to rule the world. And what Aleister Crowley did, he joined all the covens that he could find in in Britain, the witch covens, because there were many.
0: I he, got shocked emojis popping up. He on got Facebook. kicked out. I knew
1: y'all. He was so debased because he was trying to be so evil. He wanted to be the Antichrist. I believe the fruit. I believe Aleister Crowley shows us that the fruit of this is so demonic, mm-hmm. and I believe that Aleister Crowley shows us that the fruit of this is the doctrine of demons. Yep. Because he saw that the devil won, at least for a long time. And he wanted to be the right-hand guy. And he wanted to be the Antichrist. And so he spent his entire life trying to show the devil that he was evil enough to be the Antichrist. So he would go, do, he would, um, go to in, in Egypt with his wife and try to summon up the god uh, like Horus. Um, he would do these sex cults. He's trying to create these what sex he was doing demon was babies. So
0: bad that witches in covens kicked him
1: out for it being too horrible. He was a bisexual, trisexual, polyamorous. He um, made people drink cats' blood. He was constantly doing satanic rituals, satanic sexual rituals. But you know what? He actually got somewhere. Because almost all of rock and roll takes a cue from Ali Crowley. There are songs about Ali Crowley. There's a stairway to heaven. Ali Crowley bought a, a house on the, um, on Loch Ness. And, um, I'm not a rock and roll person. It's all in Kansas's rock and roll blog. Led Zeppelin, maybe? Maybe. One of them bought, um the house and try to do these sex rituals even today even today megan fox is trying to do these blood-letting sex rituals to 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 have power jimmy page jimmy page thank you who is on the front uh, he's on the cover of what album beatles the beatles yeah and he came up with a saying do as that will hold the law who else does that jay-z selling their soul to the devil and all this music and all this rock and roll is is based upon people who were trying who were being basically indoctrinated by a guy who wanted to be the antichrist because his parents were Plymouth brethren and taught him this junk and the demons got inside of him and he became satanically possessed now tie this to the satanic bible guy Well, then the Satanic Bible guy. What's his name again? um, He wanted to be like Ali Esther Crowley. Why
0: can I never remember his name? Anton LaVey. Thank you.
1: So. He studied. Uh, I believe. That this theology is the doctrine of demons. And has resulted in the downfall. of past 100 years of our nation. And when we kick this theology out we will kick out every rotten piece of fruit in our nation come that we on. have ever had come on there will be peace in the middle east mm-hmm. jews mm-hmm. and muslims are going to come to know jesus the right way yes they are we're not going to set we're not going to send them to israel and say by the way turn or burn and a third of you are going to die and you're going to go through the great tribulation Which blah blah actually
0: blah. turn that to two-thirds i don't know where that
1: okay this, this is. We're gonna have a revival when we get rid of this. Sherry sure, says, "There you go. The dots have been connected. This is such a tangled web, isn't it? This is insane. Wow." Stacy says, "What he wanted this, and then he he went around and and it, I'm actually really surprised because he he died, not becoming the Antichrist, isn't right? That's something. But he spread to billions of people around the world." The satanic ideology through rock and roll, through MTV, through all of these people that picked it up and said, I want to live according to that guy. Okay. And you wonder, we just saw the movie Jesus Revolution. Mm-hmm. Great revival because Aleister Crowley, do as you know, that wilt, spread really far and it led to a bunch of people doing drugs and sex cult stuff. And it, that led to a bunch of people coming to know Jesus. <laughs> and coming out of rock and, and roll. And coming out of it. But that movie, Jesus Revolution, never discussed the foundations of it. Because everybody's listened to these songs. Everybody has these satanic, Aleister Crowley, Antichrist songs in our heads. We all listen to them. And we have to be set free. And we can be set free. And when we get, I believe, truly, when we get this, this doctrine out, real, real revival will start. And that's what I'm so excited about. No, that's so good. All right. uh, A couple
0: more comments here. Stacy says that makes so much more sense. Lorraine says, and we see where this all starts in January. Genesis six and the book of Enoch. Sherry says, how do you do this to us after three hours? Really? We need a 24 hour marathon, LOL. So the guys, I was thinking about having the guys
1: the next time, but honestly, next week, no, we have to have the guys on next week. It's we been have, too to, long. Do Ali it's have to do Esther Crowley. It's not fair. A
0: bonus episode.
1: No, because they only come on Wednesdays. Leah, People only know it's Wednesdays. They
0: are chomping
1: at the bit. They're to come going back. to the
0: boys on Mondays, Leah. They got to do Ali Esther Crowley. Raise your hand. Do you want to have Serge and Jason and Corey come back next Wednesday,
1: or do you want? Why don't we ask Serge and Jason Corey if they want us to All do right, the Ali Esther Crowley connection? All right. Well, because I think that during the Aliester Crowley connection and then the, the, um, finishing the, the basis, the Add Tim the, LaHaye. We will not have John had Hay- them
0: on for over a month I by know. the time we get them back. We'll pray about it. All right, you guys, this has been an excellent, excellent show. I hope you've enjoyed it. I will be breaking this up into two parts everywhere. We upload it part one and part two. Stay tuned because you never know what you're going to get next week because it fluctuates. But in the meantime, reminder, we go live every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
1: that you guys, there was not one anti-Jewish comment in there.
0: They did really good. I'm really proud of you guys. You did really good. Because you're
1: understanding. I've prayed about this. How do I, how do I take out the Zionist part from all those weird, bitch-shooty, anti-Semitic people? Like... I actually love Jewish people and I want them to inherit the world, not just one piece of land. I want them to inherit the planet
0: as well. Sherry's like, How about next Tuesday? Uh, yeah, <laughs> bonus revelation red pill episode. Uh, we will see. We will definitely see. See, I wanted to do that as just a kind of its own, just Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley episode. Maybe it'd be a short one. It could be shorter, right? A little bonus episode in the midst of all this. Reminder, every Friday we go live at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on brightion.tv and then our after show on Rumble and Facebook. And then on every, every Sunday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for our World News program, which is fantastic. Also, reminder, we were on with Scott Kesterson. Part one of that aired tonight while we were doing this at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Part two will air tomorrow night. I will be in the live chat for that tomorrow night. So I'm really excited about that on Podbean. You can go and follow Scott and Bard's FM on Podbean and listen to the first half before you tune into the second half live tomorrow night. Um, we did.
1: Ah! What? But don't go anywhere, 97 people watching, because I am so excited. Here it comes. It's not the she end of the in world. In the world is not ending. Okay. But the monetary system is. Uh
0: oh, what happened? Because
1: the rise in the monetary system is going. We've now had 3 people contact ITM. No way. I am so excited that you guys you a text message? Yeah. From ITM? Yes. Just we haven't even have we barely have this side. I up. was I met, Leah, did you see
0: I made my little thing for tonight? Look at this. Watch. Boom. That's been playing on and
1: off tonight.
0: Do you Play guys on. know
1: we we covered this, we've been covering this and we will continue to cover this at on every show. Lynette Zhang is one of our favorite financial bloggers or video platform people. She's, She's got four, four things, food, shelter, barterability, and wealth preservation. Michelle and I can do three. We can't do you number four. You guys are, con- I want to talk to you guys about how to have water. We can do, we're going to show you how to you know pres- what it is? purify your water, get a food grain mill, get how to skills to barter get your pigs get your chickens but you guys come to me and i get your questions all the time what do i do with my my retirement savings what do i do with my 410k what do i do with my ira and i'm like i literally i'm i'm staring at a deer in headlights and i'm like jesus help me i need help to help these these i need help to help you
0: so what it, what it is is what we're what Corey and Serge and Jason are taking you guys through, and they did it so well on Monday night at the Kingdom Roundtable. And you can watch it on our channel or on theirs, Kingdom Round Table on Rumble. Is they're like, listen practical application for kingdom now. When we say kingdom now, what we mean is we have dominion. We are the head. We are not the tail. We are above. We are not beneath. We are going to survive and thrive through the things that are about to come our way as God takes and resets the balance of everything and the church arises. And you take your position. God has land for you. God has wealth for you. God, it's not a prosperity gospel. It's just the gospel. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so at ITM Trading, the reason why we're so excited to be partnering with
1: with them after sending you guys for six years. We truly believe in gold and silver. But I don't know how to help you get out of your retirement account into gold and silver. That's terrifying to me. Okay, I don't because that could look oh hey, I would I think you should buy like uh, this many bars of gold and maybe you should buy some of this and maybe you should buy the no listen, I can help you two grand and under. Let me show you this. I can help you that I can help you. SD Bouillon, we're good.
0: The wealth shield.
1: Oh
0: Um, This is what they have on. This is literally trademarked, by the way, that Lynette has put together. Sustained living. It says sustainable living, transitional currencies, food and medical security, legacy building, which is property ownership and the rare collectible metals, then opportunity positioning. Let me see if I can make this any bigger because it's hard to read um, there. Pattern recognition, lifetime income, and then wealth protection, portfolio diversification and levy recuperation that uh wealth protection is 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 again something that we are not professionals at and again even with the opportunity positioning again we are not professionals at that we really hone in on the sustained living and the legacy building so the right side of the wealth shield Leah and I bring you week after week after week the but you left need to have side the of the shield, shield.
1: Okay, And she says, shields are made of metal and not paper. So how do you guys transition uh, out of the, the monetary system that is crashing right now as we speak? Right. Yesterday was the time to get gold and silver. Yesterday, the day before, a week ago. And it's terrifying to go like, how do I,
0: if, if I had what some of you guys have, and I don't. Okay, but if I did, I would be terrified. Who do I turn to? I don't trust anybody with my... Finances. Yeah. And I am here, and I am. This is a big deal for us guys Mm -hmm. to be putting our name in complete partnership with ITM Trading, going, These are our family. You guys are Resistance Chicks viewers, are our family. And I never would want to leave you guys guys
1: there for years. Yeah. And we formed a partnership with them so that we could discuss with them how to best help you guys who want to know how to get out of the system because when all this stuff goes down and i'm going to end with this because we got to say goodnight. when all this
0: stuff goes down as god repositions this as we get rid of the modern end times theory and the real gospel takes its place again there's going to be a time of judgment and there's going to be people that are going to suffer and we are already entering into that time here's the thing i god wants you to be the head Not just
1: the head. What was it that I said? Instead of a consumer, he wants you to be a producer. You're going to be the banker. Be the banker. Be the banker. Be the banker. They will help you set up to win this. When the poop hits the fan. And the
0: poop is hitting it right now. (laughs)
1: You'll be the banker. For the rest of us, we're going to go to Estee Bouillon and we're going to buy ourselves a silver and a little bit of gold here and there. And we're going to. But you guys who have all this retirement income and it's, you watch it go down, Not you just watch income, it, but
0: savings savings.
1: And you're watching it go down and you're wondering, here's the thing. Every day, your dollar is in that bank. It's worth less than it's, it was. Every day, day your dollar in the bank is worth less. The stocks are going to go up and down. We know because my grandma had hundreds of thousands of dollars in GM stock. We watched it go down to zero, zero. We might've needed SD on a, or ITM trading at one time. Yeah. And we could have, and, and if we had had, let me put it this way. If my grandma, before she died, had been diversified, d- had diversified her wealth in gold and silver with ITM, mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how much that would be worth now because I think it's like twice as much. Wow, you know, and ITM Lynette watches the market. She knows, she's been in it since she was a kid. Her parents were in it, and, and what they do is they're going to help you preserve, so you're not going to lose. And when this crashes, you'll be on top. So Sherry says, I can't get my husband on board with that, but I moved my
0: retirement last year to gold and silver. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm really proud of you. And
1: you guys are going to be on top. We want to help you guys get on top with food, uh, shelter, barterability,
0: wealth preservation. Now, uh, Sherry wants you to do, I think, more stuff on the uh, grain mill. She says, please with the grain mill. I got one for Christmas and have no clue about bread making. (laughs) So we definitely need to do that video for you guys. We'll make definitely. some bread. We need to make some bread. All right, Lorraine says my 19-year-old just made her first big purchase of metals. My little saver. Oh my gosh, you're that's awesome. 19-year-old. They're about to turn you, your bank account into digital currency. Exactly. Lorraine is raising them kids up right. I'm telling you what right now. Okay. We're going to say goodbye. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. Remember, it's not just a conspiracy theory. If it's the truth. Oh, the last thing that I was going to mention, and I know that this, these series are going to go down in perpetuity, but last night we did an interview with, uh, CC Blakeman. Oh my gosh. Of former feds and, um, Dr. Jancy Lindsay. And it was so, I mean, it the power was, of God you fell. Can't say uh, cause we're still on Facebook. You can't tell them what it was, but it was, and rumble went out for almost the whole show.
1: That's crazy. Like it's
0: still there, but it was it went down. I've never had Rumble go down before. I think it was under a DDoS They're attack. They're going to
1: fifty states to try to get this pulled. Yeah, it's it and it was so powerful. The testimonies. You guys came in the chat. You were talking about your your family awesome. members being really, harmed really in the hospital with the protocols. And yeah. we had a really kind of emotional show. Yeah. It was
0: it was fabulous. So there's that and a lot more coming up. We love you guys. God loves you. Congratulations to Jennifer Baird, Bird, Baird, who won the $150 gift card for Organic Fire yeah, Essentials. Yeah, awesome. That was, that's really 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 cool. And then uh, last but not least, I'm going to go on tonight and I want to order the percale sheets because they're 25 bucks. I want to get my own. I want to get my own so that I can tell you guys how they are because they're literally still on mypillow.com from Promo
1: out. code RC. They're Close still out. on
0: closeout. And I want to get a sh- I, I, I have the flannel sheets. You have the Giza sheets and I want to get the per cow sheets It's 25 bucks. So I want to get myself a set and I okay. might get mom one too. So go to mypillow.com. The all season slippers still are on closeout. Like we don't even make a commission on these two things that I'm telling you about. That's how close out they are. They're literally just go get them, the sheets and the slippers. We love you guys. God loves you. And um, share this with everybody that you can. They need this message of hope. They need this message of truth. They need to know what they believe and where, they, where it came from in order to make an informed decision. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. Every Wednesday we go live doing this exact same thing. So be there or be square and we will catch you guys on Friday. TV, 6 p.m. Bye, guys. When I was called No place for home every day, so afraid. But you call my name, turn my eyes to the lies.
1: No truth inside, only run from the sun.